Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we do ask today that your Holy Spirit would bless this place. And Holy Spirit, we ask you to be here. We know you're a God of love. So Holy Spirit, we're inviting you in today to share with us. And Father, I'd ask that you'd put a hedge of protection around this church and around this property so that the enemy can't have any inputs, can't distract people, can't stop our ears from hearing your message and that you'd bless us with a sense of your presence today in Jesus' name. Amen. That wasn't in my notes, just quietly. Um, so good morning. For those that don't know me, I'm John Moyle. I'm married to Jenny. And uh, three daughters, one, three granddaughters, one grandson. This is some of my life. Um, I've been part of Hills Baptist Allgate from, from about 1983. So you can do the maths, it's a fair while. I'm an elder, part of the intercessory prayer group, part of the inner healing ministry team. And it is a privilege and a bit scary to be talking to you this morning. When Mark emailed the elders uh, that he was wondering about having a sermon series by the elders who wished to participate called One from the Heart, I emailed back. The idea of One from the Heart resonates with me and I couldn't say that God has placed a message on my heart yet, but I've been thinking, feeling and wondering if God has something he wants me to share to maybe both services. So this October and November, we're having the pastors and elders share One from the Heart. And today I will be sharing with you what I believe God has placed on my heart for today. On the 6th of October, Claire Jenkins shared with us about how, our, how important our heart is to God. From Proverbs 4.23 we're told, Above all, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it, both our obedience and disobedience. And then last week on the 13th, Steve Gray shared about our changing world and our unchanging God. In Malachi 3.6 we're told, I am the Lord and I do not change. Now it's my turn and I've called this talk, Who Are We Really? So would you join me in prayer? Father God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, I pray that my words today are your words and that they will touch the spirits, hearts and souls of everyone that hears them, not just this morning but also on social media. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. So to remind us of the fundamental of our faith, I'm going to ask us all to read the Apostles' Creed together. So with me, please, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, feasted, dead and buried, the third day he rose again, he ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From hence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. Amen. Thank you. Now the Apostles' Creed clearly and succinctly spells out for me, why and what I believe. I grew up in a Christian home with my grandparents, parents and siblings and we attended Brighton Methodist Church. Dad, I think, was a deacon and the treasurer of the Sunday school. Mum was a superintendent of the junior Sunday school. I have very early memories of being in a pram or a cot 
and mum teaching the little or the bigger kids than me at that time. Uh, using a flannel board for those that are not old enough to remember a bit of flannel up with cutouts that you would place on the board that had um, sandpaper on the back so that they'd... It's, for those that are a bit younger than me, it's like a computer game, really. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember reciting the Apostles' Creed as a child in the church. And it is, to me, the very essence and nature of my Christian faith. When we make a decision that Jesus is the Messiah and ask him into our lives, we become Christian, followers of Christ. We become Christians. As baby Christians, we have made a conscious decision that we believe the words in the Apostles' Creed, even if you've never seen it or read it. We also enter into a personal relationship with God the Father, Jesus the Son, our Saviour and the Holy Spirit. We are not saved by anything we do except believing in and inviting Jesus into our lives, but by the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf and the grace and mercy of God. Yeah. We are a chosen people. The Apostle Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen people, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. Once you were not a people but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy but now you have received mercy. The terms chosen people, royal priesthood, God's special possession, a holy nation originally referred to Israel. But they rejected Christ as the Messiah. God created a new body of a people to accomplish his purposes. That's us, Gentile Christians. Unless there's some people that are Jewish Christians in the church, and I don't think there are. Israel was a race, a physical race, descendants of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. We, the church, are a spiritual race, sharing the common characteristics of faith in Christ. Unfortunately, I believe that many of us don't know who we really are as adopted children of God. I hope to show you that God knows who we are as his children better than we know ourselves. Paul tells us in Ephesians 1.13, And you were also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed you were marked with him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. That is, everyone here today who believes in and has included Christ in their life is forgiven of their sins, saved and sealed with the Holy Spirit and we are accepted into God's family with the promise of eternal life. That's not the right one. So we have the Holy Spirit. In 2 Timothy 1, 5 to 7, Paul tells us, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the Spirit of God, for the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love and self-discipline. Any person can become less effective in the exercise of their abilities if they do not use them regularly. This was Paul's concern 
He wanted Timothy to kindle afresh the use of his God-given abilities. General Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, once sent to his message, his, this message to those under him. The tendency of a fire is to go out. Watch the fire on the altar of your heart. Anyone who has tended a fireplace knows that it needs to be stirred up occasionally. We're being told to stir up the Holy Spirit in us. God has given us the Holy Spirit to equip us to, equip us to do what he calls us to do in this life. And having the Holy Spirit given to us doesn't automatically mean we know how to use this gift from God. We need to understand that having the Holy Spirit residing in us means God gives us the Holy Spirit so we can do the work he has called us to do. But a large ingredient of that is faith. When our kids were little, they went to kids' camp out. One of the words, one of the words of one of the songs was, and I won't sing it. I thought about it, but I won't. Faith is like a muscle, use it and it will grow. Faith is like a muscle, use it and it will show. When the mountain comes up, face it square and strong. Tell that mountain to move, get it hopping along. Faith is like a muscle, use it and it will grow. I believe you could substitute <coughs> faith for the Holy Spirit. We have to use this gift to have our understanding of Father God, Jesus and the Holy Spirit grow in us. God has given us the gift of the Holy Spirit so we can know and understand the authority and power we have been given by Christ. God gives to all who believe in him the gift of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 2, 1-4, Luke explains that when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place and suddenly a sound like the howling wind came. They, the house was filled with it where they were sitting they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire touching each person. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit's a gift from God. Now I know that sometimes we are given gifts that, well, honestly, we don't want. Or is that just me? I was born on the 5th of November 1950. You can do the mass. That was Guy, or is Guy Fawkes Day. For those old enough to remember, which we celebrated with fireworks, and it's remembered for the failure of the gunpowder plot um, in Eng to blow up the English Houses of Parliament on the 5th of November, 1605. I cannot remember how many times growing up that my birthday presents were fireworks. <laughs> Great funs, oohs and ahs at skyrockets and spinning Catherine wheels and laughing at jumping jack crackers that would chase you around the yard while they were going off. Or maybe up somebody's skirt, I do remember one time. <laughs> or maybe not so much fun, four or five skyrockets ignited in the back veranda with sparklers sparkling, held by the little brother, me, while being held by my big brother, singeing his hands, and then the skyrockets shooting up and down an enclosed space while we ducked and weaved to avoid being hit by them. And just to, so you know, I wasn't responsible for the fireworks being banned in South Australia because of serious injuries to children and bushfires started by them. But thankfully, my brother's injuries weren't serious. But by the end of the evening, all my presents were gone. There were no lasting memories of cherished presents into my adulthood. Now back to the point. 
Sometimes I didn't want to open my presents, a packet of fireworks, and you could tell by the shape, because I knew they would be all used up and I didn't want to use them myself or have others use them. And I think for some Christians, the Holy Spirit is something that they don't really want because they're not sure what it will mean. Will it blow up in their face? However, why would God who gives us each and every one of us gift that this gift, he doesn't, why would he not want us to use it? And isn't it good to have? Because we're told in the Old and New Testament from Psalm 107, tells us, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, his love endures forever. That's gone back too far. James 1.17 tells us, Every good and perfect gift is, gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like sifting sand. The Old and New Testaments tell us that God is good, and so that are the gifts that he has given us, whether we want them or not. He desires we use these gifts, not leave them wrapped up in a cupboard. Since about 2008, Margie Zanvoort, Jenny and I have been part of an inner healing ministry team. And I hear you saying, what in the world is an inner healing ministry team? In 2008, Jenny and I attended a conference, I Give You Authority, based on the speaker, Dr Charles Kraft's book of the same name. Through this conference, Jenny and I learnt and became aware that many of our Christian brothers and sisters are figuratively walking with a limp or have a spiritual, emotional or other life wounds still festering, not a healthy healed scar. The question asked by Dr Charles Craft at the end of the conference was, would you be willing to help your hurting brothers and sisters? Jenny and I answered, yes we would. But how? We knew it would take more than two of us. Jenny shared about the conference that week at Bible study and Margie Zanvoort and Jan Kennedy's eyes lit up. We had a team which included Jan and Jenny, uh, sorry, Jan and Eddie Kennedy at that time. They're part of Little Hampton now. Now the question was, how do we do this? We met together, seeking God's leading and guidance. We shared with Colin Rolfs what he th we thought God wanted us to do and with his improvement and endorsement, we started. Jenny and I had received good teaching at the conference. We had purchased Dr Kraft's DVD series, I Give You Authority, Practicing the Authority You Have in Christ or in Jesus. And we had that to study. So we all watched the DVDs. We did, read Dr Kraft's books and other authors on healing. And then we experimented on each other. We each took turns leading and being the guinea pigs. I don't think any of us realised how many issues we had that God needed us and him to deal with. We learned how to listen to the Holy Spirit, to hear his promptings. This was tending to the fire of the Holy Spirit. It was good training. When we felt that God had prepared us and that time had come to be released into the ministry, we asked him to send the injured and hurting to us. We aren't counsellors. We rely on hearing from God, God to show us how he wants the session to go. Regularly the attendees are surprised, are surprised by what God shows them. 
in a ministry session, I can 100% guarantee that God will turn up and that the attendee will hear from God. The most common way has been with words, pictures or feelings. And the only reason an attendee doesn't hear from God is because they won't allow it to happen. The sessions are completely confidential, kind and gentle. Gentle. We don't discuss it with anyone. Sometimes people come up to us in church and say, I heard you met with so-and-so. And we say, uh-huh. <laughs> but the attendee is free to tell their story, to tell what happened and what God's done for them because it is their story. There's no judgment about what we are told. There's no condemnation. And we continue to love them as Christ does. Our mantra is to do no harm. Because sadly in ministry we've found out that a lot of people have been harmed by churches. And we don't want to do that. In fact if we did do that we'd stop. Since then we've had conducted over 100 or about 100 ministry sessions with over 80 people. And sometimes one session is not enough. A reason for this for example is that some people cannot relate to Father God. Because of the relationship they had with their earthly father. And I can relate to this somewhat. As my father worked away in my pre-teen and teen years. And when he was home on weekends, his time was taken up with his role as a trainer at the Glenelg Footy Club. It wasn't until I graduated from the regular army recruit training course when I was 17 that I knew Dad was proud of me. I know this is a mild example of a child-father relationship that affects our view of God. Because God is loving and kind... He doesn't reveal more than the hurting person can cope with in any one session. God builds up his, their understanding of his love for them and builds a two-way relationship. During the ministry sessions, we are privileged to see God expose the lies that people have been hearing about themselves and about God and the truth of, God, of what God is actually like, what he thinks of them and how he sees them. At the end of a session, it's a blessing to see someone who has come to us with a heavy heart, carrying the weight of grief, shame, guilt and judgment, leaving with bright eyes and a happy face, having heard the truth about who they are in God's sight. It's a wonderful blessing for us too. They have been set free from the lies and snares and hooks that the enemy has held them captive with. This doesn't negate what has happened in the past but the memory of the event no longer causes pain. I regularly say that we get the best seat in the house. It's such a privilege and delight to see God's healing love at work in other people's lives. The other side of the ministry, however, is that we have learnt from these ministry sessions how active the enemy is in attacking God's chosen people. Our enemy, Satan, is very experienced in knowing how to press our buttons and what our weaknesses are. After all, he's been doing it for thousands of years. This is how he keeps us downtrodden, full of guilt and shame. We hear Satan's lies and believe them. And many Christians seem to think that Satan is more powerful than God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. This is not the case. But he is the father of lies, a robber and a thief. Peter tells us in 5.8, Be alert and of salvation of sober mind your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour and do we generally spend enough time with God 
finding out what he thinks about us. I confess that I know I don't. However, thanks to God, I have learnt that the enemy's, what the enemy's voice sounds like when I'm alert and I can now ignore his voice or send his words back to where they came from as a blessing or to the foot of the cross to be dealt with by Jesus. And I don't always get that right, I can tell you. I'm also recognising God's voice and obeying what is told to me more often than I used to. Paul tells us, When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. And then he goes on to, Having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. During Roman times, when an enemy was defeated, they were paraded through the streets in chains, being pelted with rotten fruit, etc. This describes the public spectacle Jesus subjected Satan and his demons to, and how completely and utterly defeated they are. We are Satan's opponents. He works very hard trying to trick us into thinking that he is more powerful than we who are in Christ. But we are more than equal through Christ because he has won the battle. As soon as we decide to follow Christ and become Christians, we join God's army. And God equipped us with all we need to engage in the battle. We have the Holy Spirit, but we also have the full armour of God. In Ephesians 6, 10 to 24, Paul tells us, Finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the dark powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore put on the full armour of God so that when the day of evil comes you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. Why do we need to put on God's armour? And the following story is a reason we should. A young Christian woman was figuratively, who figuratively put on the full armour of God every day was running late one morning in a rush choosing what to wear. She hadn't put on her armour. She, she heard God tell her, put on your armour. I'm a bit busy, God. I'm a bit of a rush. Put on your armour. She thought she wouldn't bother, but God was insistent. She decided to be obedient and put on the armour of God and also changed her clothes. She put on a leather skirt. Opening the mail in the office of the Christian organisation she worked for, a pipe bomb exploded in her lap. Without the leather skirt, she would have been seriously injured. Because she listened to God's voice and was obedient, she wasn't injured at all. That's something to think about, isn't it? If anyone had suggested to us before the conference in 2008 that we would be involved in this type of ministry, we would have said something like, no way, Jose. We don't have the skills, experience, knowledge, etc., etc. We don't have deep spiritual insight. 
We haven't been to Bible college. We haven't been ordained. The list would have gone on and on. But God called us to this ministry. And he has equipped us to do the work he has planned for us to do. In his strength, not our own. We were willing to partake with God and see where, and see where it went. Has God been calling you into something that you don't think you were equipped for? We are living proof that God does the equipping. I pray that we will face the fact that we are in a battle. Remember we have been, been equipped by God to do his will. We are on the winning side and we have all we need to be God's disciples. So finally, who are we really? I know that's small and I apologise for it. We are sons and daughters of the living God, brought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And here, these are some of the truths of God's truth about us. You are a chosen nation, a chosen, sorry, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. We have the Holy Spirit. God made you alive with Christ. You have the armour of God. You are called his child. He calls you his friend. You are beloved by God. He is proud of you. He values you. You are precious to him. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He delights in you. You have your sins forgiven by his grace. He cares for you. After coming to Christ, does God see our sin? The enemy does and challenges us about it. But God doesn't. Our sins, past, present and future, have all been dealt with on the cross. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. There is no condemnation in Jesus Christ. There are no sinners in this church. So who we were is not who we are. Let's pray. Father God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, Thank you for being with us today and touching your chosen people. Bless all of us with the infilling of your spirit and the sure knowledge of your love for each of us, knowing that you see us as righteous because of the sacrifice Jesus made for us. Amen. If you've been touched by the message today and would like prayer, there will be people out the front to pray with you and for you. God bless you all. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.